The word gospel translates to news that brings joy. But this isn't just any news. A gospel is news that changes a life forever. After being invaded and enslaved by Persia, Greece won two decisive battles at Marathon and Solnus. The Greeks sent out heralds, also called evangelists, to proclaim the good news to the cities. We have fought for you, we have won, and now you're no longer slaves, you're free. The reality is that we are all slaves, slaves to sin and slaves to death. We are slaves in need of good news. Enter Jesus, God's Son, fully God, fully man, bringing news that would change our lives forever. His news was this, I am the divine, come to you to do what you could not do for yourself. I will take what you deserve so you can have what I deserve. You have no idea how much it will cost me, but you also cannot imagine the depths of my love for you. It is a gift that I give freely, so repent. Repent from all the ways you've run from me and follow me. Follow me because I am the only way to eternal life. Follow me because I'm the savior you've been looking for. Follow me because I have authority over everything, yet I have humbled myself for you. Follow me because I died on a cross for you, because I'm your true love and your true life. This is my good news for you. This is my gospel that you have been saved by grace and that you are slaves no more. Well, good morning, everyone. I just want to say welcome to Belong Church. I'm so glad you're with us. Everyone that's joining us online, our online church, watching the podcast on our video on our YouTube, after the fact, our podcast that's going around the world. It's so crazy the number of people around the world that are watching and the ones who are listening. We're so glad. We'll give special welcome to you today. Now, of course, there's been a whole lot that's been going on those last um, several weeks, several days um, in America with the mass shootings and the mass destruction that's gone on there, and we just want to continue to pray. Of course, we're in the middle of 21 days of prayer. Today is day eight, everybody. We have made it through our first week. Woohoo! But we want to keep and stay mindful of everyone that is going through those difficulties and those situations and continue to pray for those who are affected by the senseless murder and that our country will heal. This morning, my message, I, I, I'm going to start off with, with a statement, and I understand it's going to be controversial, and I, and I understand it's going to be um, misunderstood. So I, I'm just saying that right out the, out the bat. Just right off the bat, I just want you to know I understand that, but please don't get too dig into the literal parts of what I'm trying to say, but understand the concept I'm trying to convey. And, and the way I want to describe it is God is in a box. Now, I understand there's no way we're going to put God in a box. I know God is bigger than my mind. I understand God is bigger than everything around me, and he's the one who created everything. We can't put him into anything. But what I want to look at is this thought and this concept that God is with us everywhere we go. But he stays inside until we let him out. 
See, God's not touching people today. Jesus is not walking on the earth, going from city to city and having rallies and and talking to people one-on-one, having small groups, going and eating and drinking with sinners. He's not doing that anymore. It's now put to us. But it's not just us going by ourselves. It is God that goes with us, but he is in a box. But sometimes we can be oblivious to what God is doing or wants to do, which is where I'm saying God in a box. And we miss what God wants to do because he's not going to just jump out and beat us over the head and make us do anything. But he wants to be released. He wants us to be sensitive to him to say, hey, Father, Holy Spirit, what is it you would want to happen in this situation? And I don't know about you, but I start feeling a stirring inside of me. And I don't even know what's going to go on. And I don't even know what's happening. I don't even know who's here. Oftentimes, all of a sudden, I start feeling a stirring. It's like, oh, okay, God, I know you want to do something here. And then I start looking around like, who's it going to be? What's it going to be? And, and then sometimes somebody that wasn't even in the room walks in and goes, aha, I see. See, God wants us to let that expression of him out. But we can just as easily ignore it. Just as easily turn our backs on it. A story from when I was really young. Um, I, I think I was in second grade or third grade or something like that. Uh, we were in, in public school at that time. We would still go and sing Christian songs, if you can believe that, um, at the nursing homes. And we had these little opportunities. We would go around. And as we went to this one, I was really kind of anxious about it. And I was talking to my mom and my dad and, and my teachers and everybody because I was really worried about it. And I actually ended up talking to a pastor, if I recall the story correctly, because this was, you know, a year or two ago when I was in second grade. Yeah, winky, winky. Um, and and my, my big concern was going to a nursing home that there was going to be people in wheelchairs and what if they asked me to pray for them to get up out of the wheelchair and walk? See, I, I was concerned that I didn't have it inside of me. I didn't even have the faith to pray for that. Even as a young child, it's like, I don't want to do that and it not happen. So God, what do I do with that? How do I respond? I don't even want to go because I don't want to step out in faith and nothing happened. But can I tell you that uh, most people are, are like me as a child and maybe still like me today. That we think, well, what if it doesn't happen? What if I, re- I we're in 21 days of prayer and I ask somebody to pray for them and I pray for them and nothing happens. You know, then I look like, what are you going to look like? But can I suggest to you it's not based on what we look like. It's not based on what I look like. See, the power isn't in one person or even in a group of people. There is nothing that one person can do to lay their hands on the sick, to pray for somebody for a headache or from being raised from the dead or having this infectious disease. There's not one of us, no matter who they are, no matter how highly ranked we put them in Christendom, there's not one person or even the group of them that can do one iota. Uh, also, when I was young, it's funny, I'm thinking of all these stories when I was younger. I was listening with my parents to Kenneth Copeland tapes, and we were going to the conferences when he was around. And, and this one tape that we were listening to, yes, it was a tape, it's that old, it's that long ago. Kenneth Copeland was talking about somebody who was criticizing 
somebody who had died and someone went to lay hands on them and says, but you, they've already been embalmed. You know, there's no way you can pray and believe God for them because they've already been embalmed. They've already had all the blood sucked out of them. And he's like, as if you could do anything while they were still warm. See, the miracle isn't because, well, they haven't been embalmed. It's fresh. You can do this. So maybe God can do something. The miracle working power is in our Father God. Another pastor friend of mine was talking, he says, you know, I, I was challenged by somebody that how many people have you raised from the dead? You prayed and God raised them from the dead. And he goes, well, none. He goes, well, how many have you prayed for? He goes, none. So he was getting 100% of what he was trying for. But you see, sometimes there's been situations, I guarantee you that same pastor has been in, that God wanted to do something. And I'm not speaking critically of him, but he didn't move in the direction that God wants. Can I suggest to you that we walk in situations every single day, and God wants to be released into those situations, you walk with this God container inside of you full of the Holy Spirit. Again, I'm not limiting God to being in a box, but I'm saying he goes with you and he wants you to crack open the lid and say, hey, God, is there something you want to do here? Is there something that you want to accomplish today? See, God's principles are through us. Jesus is no longer walking around trying to see who he can pray for. Yet he, He's put that, manta, that mantle on me. He's put that mantle on you. And I don't say me because I'm a pastor. I say me because I'm a human that's here at this time. We're here for such a time as this. He wants us to lay hands on people. He wants us to exercise our faith that God will move in a situation. But it's relying on us. He wants us to walk in and lay hands on the sick, those who need God to touch them. They need a situation. And in their scriptures, we have a screen here for you note takers that you can, you can jot those down. We're going to leave them up there for a few minutes. And for those of you who are just listening, you're not watching, it's James 5, 14, and it's Mark 10, verse 16, and it's Luke 4, 40, and Acts 8, 7, and 2 Timothy 1, 6. And, I, and I'm not trying to read every single scripture, but it, it's, I want you to have those as a reference point to go. But there's something about the human touch that God created. Even in the, take the spiritual component out, just even in our day-to-day -day lives, if I walk up to somebody and I've got, you know, my, my hands by my back, by my side, folded or whatever, and I say, hey, how are you doing? They'll answer me and I, but if I walk up and I put my hand on their elbow, put my hand on their shoulder, say, hey, how are you doing? Just that simple point of contact of human touch. It's like, whoa, wow. You get more of a genuine. There's something that's created by God in that human touch. That's why we're better together. That's why we don't like to just shake hands. We like to hug next. It's about bringing that intimacy in here and say, hey, you are loved. God has something great for you. Letting God out of the box. 
Today is day eight of 21 days of prayer, and, and I'm sure you've already got some stories of what God is doing, and I, I have my own, and, and the attacks that are coming as a result, they started like two days before in my life, and it's like, oh, wow, I can understand what's going on here. The enemy is aware of what is about to happen, and he understands the concentrated effort we're putting in, and he's coming after us and me, hard to just coming at it hard but it's worth it but can I ask you a question on day eight as we've already completed one week we're starting our second week today's the the day for prayer for us we're not having any other time this counts as your day of prayer what are you asking God for what is it you're asking God for and do you have it written down have you made a prayer list? Have, have you got a prayer first book? Have you gone through the back and there's places for you to, these are those people who need God that I'm praying for. These people are people in my life and my government, my family. Ha, have you written that all down? Have you put intentionality to your prayers? See, in John 16, 24, we looked at this previously. Jesus says, until now, you haven't asked for anything. And that's just crazy to me, but there, there's so many people, and maybe you find yourself there, and I, I don't mean that derogatorily, but there's so many people who have never even asked God for anything. Jesus is saying, hey, up till now, you haven't even asked for anything. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Last week's message, we looked at John the Baptist and, and Jesus and how they came in and how they interacted together. And it's interesting because John the Baptist, when he went into his ministry and he started, he was out in the wilderness and he's, he's out there, he's famous for saying these words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Jesus comes on the scene, and John is put into prison, and we looked at all this in great detail, and then Jesus in Matthew 4, 17, it says, from that time when John went to prison, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So there's this heralding, this message that's coming out that says, repent, well, to me, I, I, maybe you're like me, that you hear those words repent, and that has a negative finger-shaking-in-your-face connotation. And, and you, you think about it, it was like, what in the world is that? And that's just kind of rude, and that's just, you know, oh, that's so religious. So I dug deep into it, and that word that right there that John used and Jesus used is the same word in the Greek. And what it literally means, and we have it on the screen, is to change one's mind or purpose. So let me take that back into context. Jesus is saying, change your mind and your purpose because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So this message isn't just of Jesus. It's not just for those who are far from God. It certainly is. But can I suggest, it's from those people who are thinking they've got it all together at church and everything's going well. And he's like, hey, you still need to change your mind. You need to change your purpose because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if I can just kind of parlay into that, God is right here wanting to do something. But you've got to change your mind. You've got to change your purpose. You've got to be aware of what's going on around you. You can't just keep going through your day just blind to what's going on. 
Jesus continues on in Matthew eleven twenty. It says that he, Jesus, began to denounce the cities in which his miracles were done because they did not repent. Now, this is a really interesting scripture, and I'm encouraging you again to read through the book of Matthew or listen to it like I am. And we've got the links up on our website, and you can go and download it. It's not very expensive, and you just listen to it and while you're doing dishes or you're driving down the road or whatever you got going on. That's what I'm doing, not the dishes part, but the driving down the road. And, and this scripture jumped out at me Jesus said, hey, he began to get upset with the cities and where all the most of his miracles, so where these people are coming out and God is doing this crazy, amazing miracles, and yet they didn't repent. They didn't have a change in their mind or their purpose, so they came to Jesus with their handout, says, hey, I need this, thank you, and then just went on. They didn't have a change in their life. And unless someone has this encounter with God, that, that there's a change that happens in there, and their mind changes, and their purpose changes, and, there's, and it's been described as a 180, that you're going this way, and all of a sudden you turn around, and you're going that way. Jesus got upset at it. But look at it, 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 the oneness in what God's heart is. Look in what, Luke 15, verse 7. Jesus says, I'll tell you in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes their mind. What does that mean? Someone who's missing the mark, who, who didn't understand what's going on and all of a sudden has this revelation and maybe has the, the scales ripped off of their eyes or the veils ripped off of their eyes and they now see how their life is supposed to be. They repent. They change their mind. Story that you may have heard. Jesus is always speaking in parables and these stories, these allegories, and he's, he's painting these word pictures that are easier than just saying, you've got to do this and this and this. And, and I, I challenge you, there's no place in the, in the Gospels where Jesus is shaking his finger Although we have this image of God like God's shaking his finger. But again, those are just things that get perverted and, and just messed up. But Jesus is telling this story. And from what it appears that this is an actual story, because he's naming names. He's not saying a certain man. But he said in verse 30 of Luke 16, he goes, now, Father Abraham. So he's naming Father Abraham. And he told this whole story that this rich man had died and a beggar who had been outside his house died at the same time. And the beggar, though he had nothing on the earth, went to heaven and he's being comforted by Abraham. And the rich man, because he thought he had everything, never gave his life to God, is now in the place of torment. And he asked Abraham, he goes, please send Lazarus, the, the, the beggar guy, the poor guy that's just out there with his hand out, always like, hey, can you give me a penny? Can you give me a dime? You got a dollar? I'm hungry. He's like, no. He goes, but send him back and tell him he's come back from the dead and he saw me and, and, and then they'll turn around and, and look at this in verse 30. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will change their mind. He goes on and Jesus says, no. If they don't believe the laws and the prophets, in other words, they don't believe the Bibles, they don't believe the preachers that are sent to them, they're not going to believe some sensational thing of the guy that used to beg on their front doorstep coming back from the dead 
and telling them a story. But look, it's talking about changing your mind. In Acts chapter 2, verse 38, after Jesus has been um, crucified and raised from the dead, and now the disciples are out there, look at what they're saying. Peter, we've gone into great depth depths lately about Peter and what he's his play, way role that he plays in all this and look what he's saying repent he's saying the same thing that John the Baptist said he's saying the same thing that Jesus said he goes change your mind have a change of purpose and each of you be baptized see the first part is the act of accepting Christ changing that mindset you get this thing going this change inside of you and then the next step is to be baptized jesus was baptized he gives us this image and this this example of being baptized and here peter is saying repent have a change of mind and go and be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of sin so you can deal with all your sin problem all the stuff that's in your past that you go well i wish i could just pull a curtain and that wasn't there anymore and look at the last part of this. And we've talked about this, hinted on this, and I keep tapping Lenore on the shoulder that this is her. And receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we got all three right here. Repent, have a change of heart, have a change of mind. Go be baptized. And, and can I tell you, it doesn't matter if you've been baptized several times and then you have this repenting again that you change your mind and maybe you're more serious now than you were. There's nothing wrong with getting baptized again to start newness of life. There's nothing that says you have to get baptized one time and that's it, okay? And then receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 3.19, therefore repent and return. So this is even for those who have walked away from God. Those that once knew and now walked away. And I always say, hey, do you want to accept Christ for the first time? Or maybe you're wanting to begin again. Here we're seeing two different scriptures within a chapter of each other. Both saying, have a change of mind. This one's saying, and return. Hey, you who once walked with God, come back. So that your sins may be wiped away. Look at this. I love this. And in order that times of refreshing may come from being in the presence of the Lord. And, and if you've ever been in the presence of God, if you've been in a great worship service where you're able to just release your praise and your worship and just let the presence of God soak over you, you understand that there is times of refreshing that you came in one way and you're leaving another way. That's life that God has to us. Can I suggest to us? We need to change our mind and our purpose. We need to be keyed into what God wants to do. We need to be on the track that God has for us. And we need the times of refreshing. Let me remind you of the old saying, to get something you've never had, you got to do something you've never done. And for many of you, joining in with 21 days of prayer, getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning to join us, or hitting at some point during the day, you're just like, I've never done this before in my life. There's nothing wrong with that. 
You're having a change in your mind by getting up and praying. You're having a change in your mind by digging into the prayer guide and seeing all the different prayers. There's 66 pages in this thing. There's so much in here and so many different prayers. So if you say, man, I don't even know what to pray. Hey, get the prayer guide. and You can download it from our website. It's up there. The first banner when you come up there, you'll see the, the blue Pray First logo. You click on that and you got our prayer guide. It's all right there. We couldn't have made it any easier for you. To get something you've never had, you're going to have to do something you've never done. Can I circle back to John 16? We started off with this. Until now, you haven't even asked. Is that you? Have you not even asked God for a change of mind? Have you not even asked God to come into your life? Have you not asked God for anything? Ask ask him. In Matthew 17, starting with verse 14, there's another story of Jesus. And remember I told you that Matthew is what we're doing in the, in the month of August. So we're going to have a lot of stories because I want us to get on track with what Jesus did. Not stories about Jesus, not me recounting it to you, but hey, let's look and read it for ourselves. So Matthew 17, verse 14 in the NIV. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. Can I, can I just stop right there? Think about that man who has a son. and We don't know how old he was, but he's been just troubled with this sickness with seizures, and he falls into the fire, it says, and into the water, and they're afraid he's going to get burned, and he's going to drown, and just, you can't turn your eye from him. You can't, well, somebody's got to be with him at all times. You don't even sleep right at night because you got one ear, like, uh, listening, and the one eye kind of half open, like, is anything going to happen in the middle of the night? The torment, the whole family. And he approaches Jesus, and he goes, please have mercy on my son. Continues on, verse 16. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus, they, they tried, but nothing happened. Look at this, verse 17. And before today, and doing all this, I thought this was kind of harsh. Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. And man, that translation puts it pretty, pretty, that's harsh. I mean, I would be like, oh man, Jesus, man, that's pretty hard. And he says, continues on, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. But literally where it says perverse, as I dug deep down into it, it means to distort or to misinterpret or to corrupt. Say that again. means to distort, to misinterpret, and to corrupt. It, it's also in another place in Luke 23, 2, it says someone is misleading our nation. They're attacking Jesus. Said, hey, he's trying to take us another direction. Yeah, changing your mind will take you in another direction. In Philippians 2, 15, it's also used there. But it doesn't mean perverse in what we think perverse. But it means you are distorted and you misinterpret what I'm trying to tell you that you can lay hands on people. And unbelieving literally just means that you, it's made up of two words. One is not, so it puts it in the negative. And then it believes that you haven't reached a place of believing yet. 
And in another place in the Bible, it is towards the end, and we'll run across it as we're going through the Gospels. It says, and then the disciples believed. They hadn't believed all the time, so they had had struggles with believing up until this point. Even here, they went out and in their obedience tried to do what God had called them to do, what Jesus had given them an example to do. And yet they'd failed. And Jesus like, how have you not got your believing on track? And you still are misinterpreting what I'm saying. How long am I going to be here with you? I just got a short time. Man, guys, come on, get it. Verse 18, then Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that very moment. Verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus in private and said, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. Again, this seems like an indictment on the disciples. I mean, come on, they're young boys. I mean, most people think they were 16, 17, 18 years old when Jesus got them. They don't have all this ton of life experiences, and this is all new to them. There hadn't been anybody talking to them from God for 400 years. None of their family knew anybody that had heard from God. So here, they're, why are you being so hard on them not even getting it right away? He says, truly I say to you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Again, this is one of those scriptures. That, and as I was listening to it, listening to the, the Stephen B. Stevens, just, just reading the whole book of Matthew, one verse after the other, I got to this one and it jumped out at me. There's got to be more here. And literally faith there. You have little faith. And if you have faith as small is one word. But look at this. As small as is from the Greek word number 5613. If you're doing notes, you want to go and check, check it out. And it means as, like as, even as, when, since, and as long as. And it's technically rooted in another word that means it's re reliant upon who, which, that, or this. Now, I just went through a whole bunch of stuff, and you may go, man, I'm scratching my head, Pastor Kevin, because that is pretty vague. You just went over my head with that. He's saying your little faith is because you don't have a time period that you're looking to where the faith is coming from. As small as is you aren't looking at the right place to get your faith from. And that is the only place in the entire Bible that that word is used, is in verse 20. Faith, however... If you have faith as, it means to persuade, to have confidence, to come to know God in this place that you're deriving it straight from God. And I have a screen that gives all the antonyms of this, uh, synonyms, I'm sorry. It means to persuade, have confidence, obeying, trusting, not doubting. Jesus likes to say, hey, if you can come at this not doubting, but because you know who you believe, you've got this confidence in knowing God is able to do anything. He wants to get involved. He has compassion. Father, God has compassion on that young boy who's got this sickness that is demon-possessed and this demon affliction. And God wants that to happen. Let him out of the box. 
But you have to be persuaded. You have to have a confidence in God. You have to have obedience to step out there. You have to be trusting that God is able to do this, and you have to not be doubting. See, can I show you? There's a difference between little and simple. Little, we just looked at, that it's in the smallness, and where are you getting your focus from, and where are you getting this perspective from? But simple is how you go about it. Notice that Jesus didn't say, okay, everybody join together in a circle, and let's just start praying really, really loud, and maybe God will hear us. Jesus simply turned to the boy and rebuked the devil. Jesus simply healed. And the thing that's been on my heart and my mind recently is to pray the simple prayer. God, I'm asking you for the simple thing. I'm asking you for the crazy thing. I'm asking you to touch this person. See, I recognize it's not these hands that are going to do anything for anybody. It's my persuasion. It's my confidence. It's my trusting It's my not doubting that God is able. Not doubting. Not doubting. A few verses later, Matthew 20, verse 29. Now as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed them, and as two blind men men, were sitting by the road, hearing that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. God wants to have mercy on people that are sitting there crying out. Who are they? Who are they again? They're two blind men. And in that culture, as in our culture today even, you know when someone is blind. You can kind of clue into it really, really quickly. So there's no question of what's going on there. And Jesus is walking past them. Verse 31, then this crowd sternly told them to be quiet. And can I tell you, we've got those same crowds around us today. Hey, shut up. Don't be reaching out to God. Don't pray and ask God. Why are you going to 21 days of prayer? Oh, that's ridiculous. There's always going to be people that sternly tell you, oh, just stop it. I had somebody last week tell me, you just need to stop that church. You just need to stop. You're not successful. I mean, there's always going to be people that come with an authority in their voice to try and tell you. I love this. But they cried out all the more. See, they were not looking for those crowds to heal them. They were looking for Jesus to heal them. Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Verse 32. And this is such a peculiar scripture. Such a curious scripture to me. And Jesus stopped and called to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that curious? Jesus, can't you see they're blind? Everybody else knows they're blind, Jesus. Why are you asking, are they blind? Yet he's asking, what do you want? See, God knows our needs. He's still looking for us to approach him and tell him what we're needing. Have you not asked for anything up to now? What do you want me to do for you? Verse 33, they said, Lord, we want our eyes to be open. Man, that is a powerful scripture right there that all of us can pray. God, even if we're not blind in our natural eyes, God, I want my eyes to be open. Moved with compassion. I love this. It's always prefaced with Jesus. Moved with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and immediately They regain their sight. May I ask you today, 
What do you want? What is it you want Jesus to do for you? What is it you want God to do and interact and intervene in your life? What is it you want? Look at this. Jesus continues on. He's hungry. He's just like us. He's walking by and he's like, man, I I just want to get some fruit off of this fig tree that's right here. And the fig tree looked like it was great. And he pulled the fruit out and it was not right. And Jesus turned around and cursed them. And that, with, that fig tree literally withered as they're watching. In fact, as they came by the next day, they're like, it's like gone, like it's 20 years old, you know, and just like completely gone, like ready to push it over. It's kind of just died right then and there. And they're like, Jesus, you, you went to this fig tree and it didn't have fruit and you cursed and it died right then and there. Oh my gosh, I mean, who are you? I mean, we see all these crazy things. And look at verse 21, Jesus said. Truly I say to you, <laughs> look, it's the same thing we just looked at. If you have faith, and do not doubt. Remember I showed you the word faith means don't doubt. Be persuaded. Be knowing what, who you're talking to, what's going on. And he's like doubling up here. If you have faith and you do not doubt, you will not only do what is done to this fig tree, but if you say to the mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it'll happen. Saying there's nothing too big for God to do. Verse 22. And in all things, you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. But you got to ask, praying and believing, and you'll receive. This week, watching the 21 days of prayer from Church of the Highlands, Pastor Hemp was talking at one of the mornings, and he told this, this story, and I, I just really wanted us to clue into him and just turn your attention to the screen. You're going to watch for about a minute what he says. Well, I want to talk to you this morning just for a few minutes on our prayer posture. Our prayer posture. My, my, my wife's always telling me, put your shoulders back. You, you, you need better posture. She even threatened to buy a posture strap. I didn't even know there was such a thing. And I'm not really talking about physical posture because there are different postures that we can take. I want to talk this morning and I want to lead us and help us because God's helped me recently in this. That, that, that there's a spiritual posture, that there's, there's a mental posture to prayer that I believe God can help us with. Because the trap is, I, I, I find in my own life that there are a couple things that derail my prayer life. And one might be, that, that I get a little too focused on my list. Come on, somebody. Who, who has a list? I have a list. I hope you have a list. Lists are good. We need a list. But Matthew 6, Jesus said, My Father knows your prayers before you pray them. And so our list isn't to inform God. And that keeps us on point. Our list is a good thing. But if we get too focused on our list, everybody, it's going to lead to, to disappointment. It's going to lead us in a bad place. And could we just this morning define success for 21 days of prayer? It's not that God will answer all of our prayers in the way we want them, in the timing we want. No, success defined for 21 days of prayer is that at the end of these 21 days of prayer, we're going to be closer to Jesus than we've ever been. That's our cry, that we would be closer to Jesus. Can I just tell you, that means so much to me. 
See, I don't want us to have the balance of this. That we're doing 21 days of prayer. We believe prayer changes things, not because it's a magical genie that we can rub, we can do the three wishes, and God's going to just come out and do what we want when we think he should do it. It's really about getting a closer relationship to God. So our definition, I'm joining Pastor Hemp on this, our definition of prayer, not just for 21 days of prayer, but in asking all the time, is getting closer to God. It's a relationship. In the, in the scripture he's talking about, I already had in my notes before I even heard him. And, and man, it's like, man, this is just all coming together. And Matthew 6, 8 says, for your father knows exactly what you need. There is no question that God knows everything about you. Even before you ask, Jesus knew those blind people, they're blind. He knew the guy with the withered hand had a withered hand. He knows what's going on in your life. He knows what's going on in my life. He knows it all. And James 4, 2 says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask. Can I circle back again to John 16? Until now, you haven't asked for anything in my name. Ask. You'll receive. It may not be in the time you want. It may not even be the answer you want. But look at this. Your joy will be complete. See, when you jump into God's economy, when you jump into God's plan, he says, you can ask me and you're going to receive. I'm not going to ignore you. But even if it's not the answer you want, even if it's not when you want it, you're going to get closer to me in your joy will be complete. Please bow your heads. Asking comes with a relationship. If you don't know someone and you want to go and ask them for a favor or ask them for a job or ask them for to, some money and for something good to happen in your life, and yet you don't know them, what are the chances you're going to get anything from that relationship? It's not very promising. Asking comes with a relationship. And relationships comes with an introduction. May I invite you this morning? Can I introduce you to the true and living God? The one who is intricately interested in every detail of your life. The one who knows everything you need, even before you ask, but is still waiting for you. He wants you to have joy to the full. Your joy to be complete and living life to the full. Today can be your day. If you're ready to begin that relationship, or even as I mentioned, to come back and to begin again, simply say this prayer with me. Say, God in heaven, I want to know you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to pay for my sins so I don't have to. I ask you to forgive me for making mistakes. Help me to change my mind. I choose to change my mind, to change my purpose. I surrender everything to you. Be the Lord of my life. Be number one. The best way I know how, I'm going to live for you with all my heart. Today I give you my life.
Father, I pray for everyone who prayed that for the first time and they were just introduced to you. Lord, for those that are coming back, or maybe those that are, are not even far from you, but Lord, the, this message just stirred up inside of them like it's stirring up inside of me that I need to keep having my mind changed. I need to keep going on your path. God, I pray for all of them. Lord, I thank you that your word says as soon as one person repents or has a change of heart, all of heaven is rejoicing. I can't wait to see all the rejoicing that's gone in to everyone that has repented, had a change of heart, change of mind, change of purpose this morning. We give this all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close, I just want to invite you that if, if you did those steps, if it was the first time or if it's a renewing of another time, we want you to simply text the word NEXT to 469-289-1114. And you'll see it at the bottom of your screen. We want to be able to communicate with you and tell you what your next steps would be if you're interested in what you would like to do. And we want to hear your testimony. Send us your emails to info at belongdfw.com. And invite someone to take this journey with you. Invite somebody to, to join in with prayer and say, hey, if you can't come to my house or if I can't come to your house, if we're going to meet for Starbucks, hey, watch it on your phone, watch it on your computer, watch it on your Apple TV, on your Roku. I mean, everywhere in the world you want to find, we can do it at 6 o'clock. We'll be going live again every morning. Lastly, if you want to be a part of our financial success, and for those of you that have cited in our last few messages, you've heard me talk about beginning to tithe and, and God's blessing on your finances. If you want to participate in that, you can simply go to givetobelong.com. It's at the bottom. And we also have a text to give option that you'll find out about as you go along. Well, I just want to dismiss and pray over everyone. Father, I just thank you for everything you're doing. Lord, I thank you for your blessing that you're doing in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the wisdom of the Gospels. Lord, I thank you for all the disciples writing these things down so that we can have a closer, intimate relationship with you. Father, I speak a blessing over everyone who's contacted us this week for all the prayer requests that have come in for, for the first week of prayer, God. And as we go into the second week, we give you our things. We give you our list, but our list isn't going to be what defines us. Our getting closer to you is what is defining us. Father, I speak a blessing over everyone who's giving to this church. Everyone who stepped out in faith and began to tithe, began to give 10% of their income, and not even maybe fully understanding it, but trusting in you. Father, I speak a blessing, and Lord, I thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See you tomorrow.